0: The year was 1982, the city was Tagusagalpa. I was 16 years old. I'd been a Christian for one year, and I went on a trip. Growing up in Marion, Indiana, you don't see a lot, at least as it relates to the rest of the world. And as I was walking through the city of that area, a little girl comes up and she grabs my hand. She's begging for money because that's what she's forced to do. She's probably five or six years old. I have a daughter that age now, so I understand all the more and I realized that she was begging for money I became really uh, uh, irate about this situation I knew if she didn't get the quota she would be beat that night as an incentive that she would get a little bit more money the next day I went back to the house that night where I was staying and I screamed at God and I said why why is it God that I have all that I have with all the money and everything that I have and this girl has nothing it doesn't seem right and God started to work in my life and that actual situation changed the course of what I was going to do with my life. It was basically, I resolved this as God spoke to me. I've given you everything you have for one reason and one reason alone, that you can bless the world, no other reason. It's kind of like the Abrahamic covenant from way back when. I will bless you so you can bless the world. There's a lot of definitions for what blessed is. We talk about our money and we talk about our family and we talk about our health. Can I give you a definition for blessed? It's basically this. I am blessed because I know Jesus. And half of the world does not even have an opportunity. And why did God choose me and not them? Does he love me more? I don't think so. He gave me everything that he gave me so that I can bless the world. And it was through that experience and a few others. I remember I took a team into India and I was sharing Jesus with this guy who spoke English selling things in his shop. And I started talking to him about Jesus and he said, Well, I don't know if I have it, but if if I can find it, I'll sell it to you. And when I was in Egypt doing a prayer journey with a group as we were praying specifically for the military in this area and as we had finished praying we walked by and here was this military man with an Injil which is the Arabic term for good news reading the Bible right there in the midst of an Islamic world. It was those experiences that made me realize I am blessed to bless. This morning what I want to tell you is that we're all called to that. We just got to find out what it is. But there's a price my friends. There is a price. And it wasn't me that said what it was, but Jesus did in Matthew 10. He said, you want to follow me? Everybody wanted to be around him. He was the one that did the miracles. He was the one that was charismatic. He was the leader, and everybody wanted to be around him. But then he got down to the nitty-gritty. He said, you really want to follow me? I'm going to tell you what it's about. And as he sends out the 12, he said, this is what's going to happen to you in Matthew 10. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to local councils and they will flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witness to them and to the Gentiles. But they will arrest you. Don't worry about what you will say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. Verse 26. So don't be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark... Speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. I'm not. But cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more worthy than many sparrows. Verse 37, anyone who loves his mother, his father or mother is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. For whoever, loses, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. And as the prophet prayed many years ago, we pray this morning, Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Very clear. You want to follow Him? He tells us what the cost is. You don't understand it because you got it so easy. When you see that, you say, oh, that's for the disciples in that day and that age. But the majority of people who say they follow Jesus today understand those words, my friends. And they understand if they follow Him, that it may cost a price. Three things to note to you this morning. Number one, go. I'm telling you now because nobody else will. Go. Not what I said, what Jesus said. He said to go to all the world. Not just the easy areas. Not where they're just receptive. But to all the world and I will be with you till the end. He tells us that we are to do this. You see there are only 445,000 missionaries in the entire world. And 430,000 of, 430, of those are in areas where churches exist. So that leaves us only 15,000 workers trying to reach 3 billion people. We have one missionary today, my friends, for every 1 million Muslims. And yet we say this is true. And this is for everybody. If it's not true, then leave this place and be married for tomorrow we die. But if it is true, then we need to do what it says, regardless of what our own little uh, thoughts are, regardless of what the modern thought is, we have to do what Scripture says. And even our church, which I'm involved with, the Wesleyan Church, we're not even close to 1% of sending out our people. I'm not talking to 99% of you, even if we had 1%, we're not even close to that. And yet we say the world is our parish. As my grandfather says, proof is in the pudding. If it's true, do it. And if it's not, then let's go go on and do something else. This morning, I'm not asking you for your money and I'm not asking you for your titles or for your talents. I'm asking you for your lives. Because it will come at a cost. And Jesus is asking you for that. You see, the reason why I do what I do is pretty simple. We finish the mission and we go home. Do you understand me? We finish the mission and the king does come. Because Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom, it will be preached with or without you to every nation and every uh, people group. And then the end will come. Finish the mission and let's go home. That's what I'm about. You see, in Matthew 24, Jesus said, in the last days, there are going to be a lot of bad things happening. You think 9-11 was bad. You think the tsunami was bad. I'm telling you right now, my friends here this morning, it's only going to get worse. And I'm an eternal optimist. But Jesus said, I'm telling you now, so that when it does happen, you will not be people without hope. So on one hand, it's going to get worse. And you've got a life ahead of you. But simultaneously, on the other hand, the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to move forward. And when that is finished, we go home. That's the gospel as I know it. That's what you and I are to be a part of. And as you saw in the video, and I've noticed while I'm about, out and about, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Jesus also said anybody who gives up his mother, his father, or even his homeland will, will not fail to receive a hundred times more, my friends. There's not a pe- person in this auditorium that's more fulfilled than I am, even with all the things that I face. Because the h- real issue is, are we at the heart of what God wants us to do? God is calling us to a simplistic lifestyle, not the American dream. Not how many cars, how many, how many toys you have, and how high your salary is, or how many titles you have, my friends. It's about living a life that makes a difference and living for something that's bigger than you. If I could tell you today that tomorrow we will win the, world, the war on terrorism, and we will win the war in Iraq, but it will cost us something. And it may, this day, cost us many lives. But tomorrow, we will be free from all of that fear. And our children will live for that. If, in fact, that were true, probably in this room, many of us would say, sign me up for the sake of the next generation. I want to do that. I stand before you today to tell you, for the sake of the kingdom, my friends, it's worth it. We can win this thing, and we will win this thing. But it will cost us something. And we need to get His perspective on finishing this thing. We need more people to go. The second thing you see is that we need to partner. Where I go, you can't go and say, hey, I'm going to be a missionary. And there's so many physical needs. It's not just sharing Jesus with them. It's helping them where they are when they don't have houses and they live in tents and they don't have food and they don't have health care. You got it. It's all complicated. Life is messy. When I get out there, I don't have the answers for all the problems. I live daily with people coming to my door saying, my mom, she's dying, and I don't have enough money to help her. Or I don't have enough money to feed my kids. Have you ever faced that day to day I do. And I still don't have the answers for all those dilemmas. And yet we go in there and we register as World Hope International and we're building schools. We've built up to 12 schools for refugees who did not have anything to learn from. We're putting computer schools together to give them tools in their toolbox. We're putting English programs together. We're distributing things to people. We're doing all this because it's a part of the gospel. And the amazing thing is God uses politics for his glory. Where I live, the Afghanistan war started. And so our troops came flying over Turkey, from Turkey to Afghanistan to bomb them. But they needed permission from our country. So of course they gave them permission and then after they bombed Afghanistan flying back to Turkey they needed to refuel in our country and they gave them permission. So because of that our government was so nice to start giving money to the country in which I live to fight terrorism. Next thing you realize we're struggling as world hope because we don't have a lot of money. And I became friends with the American ambassador and through all of that they send in the Pentagon. The Pentagon comes, the United States Marines come, and they have this amount of money to do relief development, but they don't have a clue what they're doing in our country. So we connect. And today I'm spending between six to $700,000 from the Pentagon budget and your tax dollars to build schools for refugees. But we're doing that in a way that is holistic. Not only that, my friends, we're not only partnering that way, we're partnering in building the church. You see, our church doesn't have buildings, we don't meet in auditoriums, just like the book of Acts, we go from house to house. And as we do that, we're working together with three other agencies, all building the same church. Kind of like what Jesus wanted us to do in the first place, yeah? And not only were we doing that, we are now, I'm pushing for all the lands we have been in in the last hundred years is stop being so uh, pa- uh, like a parent about this thing. Start partnering with them. And I've been traveling to Latin America and places in Europe and saying, hey, why don't you, sit, why don't you come with me and let's finish the task. Start partnering with areas where we've been for the, next, the last the past hundred years. Not only are we to go, we're also to partner. But lastly, the part we don't want to talk about is we're going to have to endure persecution. It's normal stuff. Jesus said in John 5, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, love your enemies and blessed are those who are what? Persecuted for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He tells us point blank about all of this. I remember while I was in India, had that team. We were in a village and as we were doing evangelism through drama, we were with this Indian pastor. He's 70 years old and he goes throughout the villages on his scooter preaching the gospel in a skirt. Okay, Think of a 70-year-old guy in a scooter rocking around with his Bible preaching the gospel. It's a pretty hilarious scene. And as we go there, we're doing our drama. We see over on our right-hand side that there's, there's a ruckus going on and there's starting to be some pushing and shoving with the Indian pastors. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm responsible for this team. It's time for us to get to the van. So we start running to the van and as we're sitting there waiting for the pastors, they come back and they're all jolly and laughing. And I said, well, what happened? They said, oh, that was nothing. We just kind of had to hurry to get out of it before they got a little bit rough. And he said, but I was here last week and, and, and as I was preaching, they tried to stone me but I got on my scooter and I escaped him. <laughs> and I was like, well, why didn't you tell us before we got here? And he's like, well, I thought you wanted to do evangelism. You see, for the American, it's where is the safest and where is the easiest. For the rest of the brothers and sisters who say they follow Jesus, it's about doing the work where the need is. You see, a couple months ago, I was in Uzbekistan at the dinner table with a bunch of Uzbekis who, as we were talking, just having a dinner conversation like we all do, and they said, yeah last week I was in jail I was like what yeah last week I was in jail because they raided our house church and and as we were there we decided we were going to minister to the police station and so we started cleaning the police station And as we were cleaning the police station the police looked at us and they said well what are you doing and they said well we're just trying to help you out there and they said well why are you in jail because we're followers of Jesus and after sharing with them for so long and cleaning their police station the police said, oh just get out of here you guys are good people And as they finish their conversation with me, they just go on to the next subject like it's just like what the score is of the game. And I'm still back that they're in jail and they're like, it's ordinary, normal stuff. We don't get it because of the bubble we live in. But for the rest of the brothers and sisters in the world, they understand to follow Jesus means there is consequences for that. Persecution is the norm. David Barrett estimates that since our church exi- started, 40 million people have died because they say, "I follow Jesus," just for that reason alone. And he also says that every year, between 160,000 another tsunami die simply for the reason that they say, "I follow Jesus. I could take you to Sudan today, where Christians still are being crucified upside down because they follow Jesus. Or I could take you to Iran because believers are being slipped from ear to ear because they follow Jesus. And yet, for them, geez, they understand when they read scriptures that this is what it's all about. Even in the church in which I, I work in, Sevda believes in Jesus and now her family has nothing to do with her. Meheram came to Jesus and his family said, Away from us. Shamil is running from the secret police. Meti, at his university, was physically attacked. All because they follow Jesus. Do you think they uh, are intimidated? Do you think that they back away? I don't think so. Rafiq told me, he said, you need to go out with me to the village because God's doing some great things. Come from house to house and we'll share people with people about Jesus. We don't even have the Old Testament translated yet. We just finished it. Now we're trying to get it into the country. And as we went to one village, as we were driving up, we pulled in next towards a mosque. And I thought, this is not good. And as we're pulling into the mosque, there's two houses and he says, we're going to spend the night in this house. And we're going to, uh, this guy just came to know Christ and we're going to teach him and encourage him. Because you see his dad lives next door and he's the mola of the mosque. I thought, this is really good. So for the next 24 hours, we're sharing Jesus with this guy. Drinking tea, sharing Jesus, drinking tea, sharing Jesus. I thought, well, that's really good. And as I left... Few months later, this man shared Jesus with his dad. Next thing I know, he's now no longer living next to his father. He had to flee and is now living in the capital city because he shared with his own family. These guys understand what it's about. You see, the blood of the martyr is always the seed of the church. And in Revelation 6:9, the fifth seal was opened, and those who had been martyred, their voice cried out, "How much longer, God?" How much longer shall we wait before we are vindicated? He said until the last one comes in. I am challenged today by the brothers and sisters in China and the house church movement that is happening there and it's illegal. And yet they're not thinking inward and only about China. China. Do you know that their goal now as a church is in the next 10 years? Listen to this, my friends. With all the obstacles they've got, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge to us as a church. With all the obstacles they've got, they are now saying in the next 10 years, God being our strength, we are going to send out 100,000 workers to the Islamic world, to the Hindu world, to the Buddhist world, all the way back to Jerusalem to finish the mission. They don't have the money. They don't have the training. All they know is they've got Jesus. He said, finish the mission and let's go home. And they are taking him literally. When are we going to do that? God is doing so much where I'm at right now that it would blow the minds of everybody who would be there because it's a God thing. Not because of any man, plan, or charisma. Because God has willed it. He's doing so much in the land I serve. I stand before you to tell you that we are now, by faith, still going to expand. We have three new fields we are now opening. We have three couples that have already signed up to be the lead for those new fields. I stand before you today to say we need more workers to join us for one year, two years, and beyond with all the talents and the skills you've got. We still have our booth over there. You can see Heath at Global Partners. We are going to finish this mission with or without you. But we, and I'm still not talking to 99 percent. We're all a part of even if you're called to stay here, you are a part of the team to finish this thing, and you've got to find out what it is you're supposed to do. What I'm calling us to do today, my friends, is humanly impossible. Did you hear me? It is humanly impossible, but that's the way it's supposed to be. It will cost us everything. But that's the way it's supposed to be. And we will lose some lives in the process. Jesus said this will happen. May I repeat Paul's words. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I love athletics, and the beauty of it is you never know who's going to win. But I want you to know, my friends even though we will lose some people in this battle. And if you don't hear anything else, I pray this morning you hear this. We will win. We will win this thing. Scripture tells us, and on that day, oh, what a day it's going to be. And on that day, in Revelation 7, 9, in that throne room, can you picture it? In that throne room, there's going to be so many people, you're not going to be able to count them. And I'm not going to be worthy to be up front. And they're going to be from every tribe, every language, and every people group. The Uzbeks, they're going to be there. The Tajiks, they're going to be there. The Kyrgyz, they'll be there. The Azerbaijanis, they will be there. The Iranians, the Saudis, the Turks, they're all going to be there because God's going to get his work done. He says they will all be there and we will win this thing. And with a a unison voice, we will sing, holy and worthy is the Lamb. I don't know about you. For me, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. To do what God wants us to do. To live a life that's bigger than us. And be able to know that when I go to sleep at night, that I am making my life count for something. He wants that for every single one of us. And you must answer that question. And by not even making the decision, you've already made the decision the way you're going to live your life. Don't live the life the way culture tells you to live it. Live it the way Jesus tells us to live it. And you will understand what John 10.10 says, that I've come that you may have life to its full. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's looking for that man or that woman to say, yes, here am I. I don't have the talents. I don't have the skills. But here am I. If God can use a little kid from marrying Indiana, moi, he can use anybody else. And that's a fact. God, may the words that I say now be sealed on the hearts. And if I've said something that's not of you, may it fall. But if I've said of anything that is of you, I pray that you would not let them get away from it. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We want to finish the mission so that we can go home. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.